Let's turn to John chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at chapter 12, verses 12 through 19, uh, the Jesus and the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So John chapter 12, <clears throat> and we'll read verses 12 through 19. So let's give attention to the reading of God's word, John chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had done had, had, and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Let's bow together in a brief word of prayer. Father God, we are grateful that you love us and that you care for us. And one of the ways in which you do so is that you feed us through your word, through Christ, the manna from heaven. We pray, Lord, that this morning that we would feed upon him by faith in our hearts, not only through the word preached and the word read, but also through the visible word consumed in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We pray, Lord, that you would nourish us, fill us with your grace, that we might live righteously in a holy manner in your sight and bring glory to your name. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I think it comes when it comes to the triumphal entry, uh, Jesus entering into Jerusalem on this donkey, I think that we can say that that is perhaps one of the more iconic moments in the ministry of Christ. It one perhaps that captures the imagination, as you can imagine, the throngs of people, perhaps hundreds if not thousands by the side of the road, greeting Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem mounted on this donkey which to us may seem like an illogical choice uh, for an animal. Perhaps we would think it should be some sort of steed of war. But if you look into the Old Testament and recognize that Israel's kings rode on donkeys and that Israel's patriarchs rode on donkeys, this, I think, added uh, significant meaning to the, uh, the whole event that Jesus comes in riding on the steed of one of Israel's kings, and he's greeted by the throng as they are carrying the palm fronds, waving them around, crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So here, the throngs of the people greeted Jesus as the king of Israel, indeed as the king that he was. But I think the question that I want to place before us this morning is why is it that the crowds brought palm branches? That's the particular question that I want us to think about and I want us to meditate upon. What's the significance of this action? Why the palm branches? And in particular, what are the connections to the church today? What are the connections to us? 
And so what I want us to do is I want us to excavate a little bit of historical soil, if you will, and I want us to look into uh, the, the, the days of Jesus to ask the question, what was the significance of palm branches? Then secondly, I want us to dig a little deeper down into the soil of history, particularly the soil of the Old Testament. And I want us to ask the question, what significance does uh, do the palm branches have, do palm trees have in the Old Testament? And then third and finally, I want us to make that connection to us, to the church, so that we can see, believe it or not, our own connections to the palm branches, and in particular to the palm trees, so that we can see that this is not simply an event that happened in the past, but rather it is an event that happened in the past that has abiding significance in the present. So first, what is it about palm branches, palm trees in Christ's day? Well, I think that one of the first reasons we could say that the crowd grabbed these palm branches is because palm trees in the ancient world, in the days of Jesus there in Palestine, were in great abundance. Date palms were in abundance in and around Jerusalem, and they grow there uh, to this day. Now, there's slightly different types of palm trees as we find here, but just driving up the five this morning, as I looked out the window, and partially because I was thinking of the message this morning, uh, I looked at the palm trees, and I saw the palm trees all over the place. And it may surprise you, but believe it or not, this area of California has a very similar climate as Israel does. We're pretty much on the same um, latitude as Israel. And so the, the climate here can give you an idea as to the climate there, and it would tell us that palm trees are in a great abundance there. But I want you to recognize that the fact that the crowds grabbed palm branches wasn't simply an action of convenience. It wasn't that they said, hey, we need to wave something. What do we have? Hey, how about these palm trees? Let's grab some branches, cut them down, and let's just start waving those. That seems like it could work well. I think it's something more than that. You see, in Israel's recent past, they had used palm trees and palm branches as a national symbol. You know, every country has their symbols. We have the eagle, for example. Well, Israel used the palm tree as a national symbol. And in particular, it was Simon the Maccabee, which we could translate that out of Hebrew, Simon the Hammer. He was the one who had chased off foreign invaders. And we read, for example, in 1 Maccabees 13, it's uninspired, it is not scripture, but it gives us a historical window into the events uh, prior to the ministry of Christ. It says, the Jews entered with praise and palm branches and with harps and cymbals and stringed instruments and with hymns and songs because the great enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. Simon decreed that every year they should celebrate this day with rejoicing. So in the days of Simon the Maccabee, uh, they celebrated his victory over the Roman armies uh, with palm branches and they were celebrating this great victory. When the Jews in the days prior to Christ's ministry, had rededicated the temple, they too picked up palm fronds and employed them. We read again in 1 Maccabees, therefore carrying ivy-wreathed wands and beautiful branches and also fronds of palms, 
they offered hymns of thanksgiving to him who had given success in the purifying of his own holy place. And so here we see the people using palm branches, palm fronds. So it wasn't necessarily unique to Jesus that they came out waving the palm fronds when he entered into Jerusalem on his donkey. And in fact, in post-biblical Jewish literature, the records uh, there indicate that the Israelites used palm branches and that they used 12 palm branches to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay? Even then, coins from Jesus' day were impressed with images of palm branches. So there's a sense in which we can say it was a very common symbol in the days of Jesus. So much so that we could say if we were to celebrate a victory parade today in our own land, we would probably break out eagles. We would probably break out the red, white, and blue banners. We would break out flags because these were the common symbols for our own country. Those are symbols of celebration. Well, these were the symbols of Israel's identity in Jesus' day. And so it's natural uh, that they would bring out the palm fronds and wave them as Jesus entered into Jerusalem. But the question still persists. Why palm fronds? Why palm trees? Why would this be such a prevalent symbol in Jesus' day? And so that brings us to our second point. Looking, if you pardon the pun, into the roots uh, of this idea in the Old Testament. See, in the Old Testament, God instructed the Israelites to celebrate the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. This was the annual celebration where the Israelites would remember the Exodus. They would not only celebrate the Exodus, but they would also celebrate uh, God's victory over Pharaoh. And they called it the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. Some of your translations might say the Feast of Tents, because they dwelt in tents. Uh, they dwelt in tabernacles and little booths as they uh, journeyed throughout the wilderness on the heels of the Exodus. And so what they were supposed to do in the celebration of the Feast of Booths is that this celebration was to remind the permanently settled Israelites, that is the Israelites dwelling now in the land, of their wilderness journeys, of the times when God had provided for them. We read, for example, in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 40, And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. So here, one of the reasons why the palm fronds were in great abundance here, ready at a moment's notice, as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, is that they were celebrating this feast, this festival. And so they had these palm branches. They were remembering and they were celebrating uh, God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt. If you recall from the Exodus, the Israelites were encamped by 12 springs 
and 70 palms of Elim, <clears throat> where there was an abundance of water, according to Exodus 15, 27. So here, as we continue, we're journeying back. Notice, we, we, we looked at the first century, and we see that palm branches were in great abundance. We're looking back now as they celebrate the Exodus, as Israel remembered God's gracious provision for them, his redemption from Egypt, his provision for them in the wilderness, how they encamped by the 70 palms of Elim. And so they were remembering their time in the wilderness, how God had given them all of these things. But ultimately, I think that the question still persists. Why the palm trees? Why the palm trees? And I think it ultimately goes back to the very presence of God in the midst of his people. You see, among the many things that adorned the walls of the temple, the the many images that you would find upon the walls of the temple etched in gold in the Solomonic temple, we find palm trees. For example, in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 29 and following, all around the walls of the house where he carved engraved figures of cherubim and palm trees and open flowers in the inner and outer rooms. 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 36. And on the surfaces of its stays and on its panels, he carved cherubim, lions, and palm trees according to the space of each with wreaths all around. So you see, here within the very walls of the Solomonic Temple, as the priests would process into the temple and into the Holy of Holies, they would look upon the walls and they would see engraved images of lions. They would see engraved images of angels, but they would always also see palm trees, palm trees all around them, all around them. These palm trees lined the interior of the temple, and I believe ultimately they were supposed to be a reminder of the Garden of Eden. The fruitful trees that were in great abundance in the very first earthly temple in Eden itself. Recall the garden was replete with every type of fruit tree, which we could also include date palm trees, and the garden was the place of God's presence. It was a place of lush vegetation. It was a place of fertility. It was a place flowing with water, and it was a place ultimately of of blessing, not simply because of these created, uh, you know, accoutrement, but because ultimately of God's presence. And so when Israel encamped at the Feast of Booths, the palm branches were not only supposed to remind them of the Exodus, but their minds were supposed to go back all the way to the temple, all the way to the Garden of Eden itself, when they would remember that God was supposed to be and dwell in their midst, and that they themselves were to gather about God and dwell in the midst of his presence, because it was God's presence that was there in the garden. It was God's presence that was there in Israel's midst as they came out of Egypt. It was God's presence that was there in the midst 
of the temple. And so when the priests entered into the temple, they would be reminded of these realities. And so the fact that the crowd rushed to the streets to greet Jesus as he entered into Jerusalem bearing palm branches, I think has a world of significance because ultimately the people were declaring, here is God in the flesh. What is it that they cried out? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. They were not acknowledging that Jesus was just some ordinary king, but rather they were declaring by using these palm fronds that here is the king of Israel. Here is God in the flesh. And remember, these are many of the same people, as John tells us here in chapter 12, that were gathered about during the resurrection of Lazarus. So that with their own eyes they had observed the miraculous power of God in the flesh as he brought forth life out of death, hope out of hopelessness, victory out of the jaws of defeat. And so they were undoubtedly thrilled. They were undoubtedly thrilled. They were excited. You know, I think I can imagine... And I'm sure you've seen these types of events in your own lives. You know, you look at a, at a winning team when they, they, they win the championship. You know, pick your sport, whether it's football, whether it's baseball. All of us have seen images or perhaps even participated in those types of things. I can remember uh, getting to watch and actually going to the game, Game 7 of the National League Championship Series for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, by God's providence, ended up with two free tickets. My brother just about had a cow when he found out. He said, what are you doing tonight? He's like, oh, I don't know. I guess I'll go to church. It was Wednesday night. And I said, well, you want to go to the seventh game? He's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Yes, let's go. I said, we have to pay for parking. Fine, I'll pay it. Well, they won. They won. It was complete and total bedlam. And we decided to try to drive home on secondary roads. And it was, a mo- it was a mob. It was a mob. People were just cheering. Cars were honking. People were running all over the streets. And what should have taken us 40 minutes to get home took us about two and a half hours to get home because of the bumper-to-bumper traffic. I think that's the kind of electricity that was in the air. This is why the crowds rushed to the streets. This is why they grabbed their palm fronds. This is the guy that raised Lazarus from the dead. And now here he is on a donkey, the the steed of Israel's kings. I think that this is in fulfillment of the prophets. When Zechariah, for example, as John quotes, just as is written from Zechariah 9, 9, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So all of these things signaled that here is God in the flesh. Here is Emmanuel, God with us. Rather than having to come to the very presence of God in the temple, the very presence of God had come to them. 
in the person of Jesus Christ. So now this brings us to our third and final point. Now that we understand the significance of the palm branches, I think that we can look at this passage of Scripture in greater detail. I think it goes from perhaps we could say from two dimensions to to three dimensions where we can see its various facets. Now, on the one hand, John reports powerful images, the throngs of Israelites greeting Christ, bearing their palm fronds, heralding his advent as the king of Israel. But as we know very quickly from the events that eventually unfold in John's gospel, we can say that the crowds were fickle. They were fickle, and they quickly changed their minds. I think that as they looked at Jesus, there's a sense in which they understood the significance of the events. They understood to a certain degree what was going on. I suspect that in the collective mind of the crowd, the memories of Simon the Maccabee echoed and resonated within their hearts. I think that they probably stood there at the side of the streets, waving their palm fronds with bated breath because they said, the rebellion is upon us. Here is the king of Israel. He's going to deliver us from our Roman overlords. Just as Simon ran off our enemies, so too here is the king of Israel who will defeat our enemies and free us from these oppressors. He will cleanse the land of these Gentile invaders. And so, as they waited they were perhaps quickly disappointed because not only did Jesus not run off the Romans, but according to the gospel of Matthew on the heels of this very event, Jesus went into the temple and rather than to declare his campaign against the Gentile Romans, he turned in judgment against the Jews who were in the temple And he began turning over tables, complaining and judging the people, the inhabitants there in the temple, saying that they had taken God's house of prayer and that they had turned it into a den of thieves. He had words of judgment against Israel, not violence against the Roman overlords. The religious leaders challenged his authority. You know, can you imagine? Here is our champion team. They've won. And then all the sports commentators and all of the experts saying, well, it's a hollow victory. They had an easy schedule. The team that they played was rife with injuries. They were playing second and third string players. It's not a legitimate victory. In far greater way, the religious leaders were saying that Jesus is not the Christ. He's not the Messiah. They challenged him. 
And again, the, 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 Jesus, or John specifically mentions that the, the crowds were aware that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, so I think that they were expecting something similar. He just raised Lazarus. Maybe he'll use his power to force the Romans out. And so I suspect in their eyes, Christ's actions were undoubtedly disappointing and anticlimactic. And so we know ultimately where their reaction went. We know that they went from hailing Jesus as the king of the Jews, waving palm fronds with great excitement and enthusiasm, to turning on Jesus, saying, crucify him, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. And yet the crowd's fickle response should cause us to ask, What do we expect of Jesus? Who do we think that he should be? What do we want him to do for us? Why do we seek him? In Christ's parable of the sower, in Mark's gospel, he mentions that there was seed that fell upon stony soil. And in his his subsequent explanation, he explains the significance of the parable and said that some receive the message of the gospel with joy, but having no root in themselves, they walk away after trials or persecution. When the birds of the air come by and pick it up, pick up the seed, or when the sun comes out, he says, and bakes the seed that was unable to plant and to get a deep root into the soil. In other words, many people see Christ for the wrong reasons, and when the Christian life does not meet their expectations, they quickly change their opinion about who Christ is and what he has done. There are all sorts of false reasons that people pursue Christ. They pursue him because they think that Jesus will give to them health, And wealth, you know, just this uh, week, just yesterday, I was talking to one of my children asking about a a family member. And my son asked me, well, is this person a Christian? And I said, no, not as best as we can tell. And he said, well, why not? I said, because I think what happened is that there was a death in the family that this family member took very hard and ended up walking away from the Lord because the person could not accept the fact that the Lord had allowed this to happen. Sometimes people think that Christ treats them unjustly. Sometimes what happens is that so-called Christians feel the heat of persecution And so they decide to depart because they said, this is more than I signed up for. Yet if we come to Christ with a genuine faith, a God-given faith, and receive him as Lord and Savior, then ultimately our response to Jesus must be one of praise, thanksgiving, and even fidelity in the face of persecutions or trials or when life doesn't go exactly how we think it should. As Christ continued to walk the way of the cross, 
He did not forsake the Via Dolorosa. He did not forsake the path that the Father had set out for him. And therefore, as Christ's disciples, we must pick up our crosses and follow him wherever that path may lead. And so here, I think, is where the image of the palm branch and the palm tree comes into play. You see, in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, you remember that King Balak had hired a mercenary prophet to go and to pronounce and to invoke curses upon Israel. I often wonder if I could be a mercenary professor and just be a hired gun and teach wherever people wanted me to teach, because it just seems odd. He's a mercenary prophet. And King Balak says, I'm going to hire you to pronounce curses against Israel. And so he hires him. And what happens? The Lord turns the whole situation upside down. And rather than pronounce curses upon Israel, Balaam pronounced blessings upon them. But what did he say? What did he say as he looked out upon Israel and camped in the wilderness? He says in Numbers 24, 6, like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedar trees besides water. Here, the prophet characterized Israel as a palm grove. Remember this imagery, a palm grove as God is there in the portable tabernacle in their midst. There is God. There is the palm grove. Think of the garden of Eden. There is the presence of God, the fruitful trees, palm trees. Think of the temple. Here is God in the midst of the temple surrounded by images of palm trees. How is it that the psalmist characterizes The righteous, in other words, the people of God. In Psalm 92, verses 12 and 13, the righteous flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of the Lord. So here the psalmist likens the people of God to abundant and fruitful palm trees. So what the scriptures are telling us, both in Old and New Testament, whether it's temple imagery, garden imagery, or the imagery that we see the prophets, such as the psalmist and Balaam, applying to the people of God, or even the very actions of the crowd surrounding Jesus, is that the people of God are likened unto palm trees. So you didn't know it, but this morning you were going to be told, you're a palm tree. You're a palm tree in this biblical imagery, because you are planted in the presence of God through the outpouring of the gospel and of the power, powerful regenerative work of the Spirit, and that as you draw nigh unto Christ, you become fruitful, you become abundantly uh, lively and filled with the life of the Spirit. And you flourish as you dwell in the presence of the Lord in the courts. But ultimately, we want to recognize that this palm tree imagery isn't about trees, but in the end, it's ultimately about redeemed sinners living fruitful lives in the presence of God through his powerful spirit. 
Think of all of this imagery, and I'm going to start linking this all together. But the righteous man, according to Psalm 1, the righteous man is likened to a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and out of season. In his teaching, Jesus likens believers to what? To fruit trees that bear good fruit. How do you tell a person's identity? By the fruit that they bear. They're either a good tree producing fruit or they're a bad tree. In Matthew chapter 7. But the most powerful image, I believe, comes in the book of Revelation in the seventh chapter when we read this in verses 9 and following. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There will come a day when this imagery will come together and it will come together as we are all gathered before the presence of God, before the throne of the Lamb, where we will sing praises to our God. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb and you will carry a palm frond. And that palm frond will not only be rooted in all of this imagery that we find scattered throughout the scriptures, Old Testament and New, but it will signify that God has redeemed you to make you fruitful in his presence. And as the psalmist writes in Psalm 1, that you will have borne fruit in good seasons and in bad, in season and out of season, whether things go well from your point of view or whether they go uh, poorly whether it's in times of trial or in times of joy, whether it's in the face of temptation or in the absence of temptation, that you would yield the fruit of righteousness and holiness. And that your praise for Christ would not simply be empty words because you are expecting one thing from him, whatever that may be, but rather your words of praise would be heartfelt words of thanksgiving, worship, and adoration for the Lord and Savior who has delivered you from your sin, delivered you from the clutches of death, delivered you from the power of Satan. You are the palm trees, and one day you will greet the King of kings and the Lord of lords as you dwell eternally in his house, eternally in his courts. So pray that by the grace of God, you would not have a fickle heart. Live out your identity, if you will, as a palm tree of Christ. Because you are the temple of the living God. Live, therefore, in accordance with your identity. And praise the Lord your God, the Son of David, the King of Israel. And say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel.